0: If you have your Bible, go ahead and open up to the passage that Chris read earlier for us in John chapter 3. We're continuing our study in the book of John. Now, unfortunately, if you were expecting a skit this morning like we often do for Family Sundays, there's no skit. But I have a compromise. I'm going to tell a story. So I'm going to start with a story for the kids just to include you as we're going Through, and we'll start here, but we'll have the final part at the end. Once upon a time, a young girl named Alice lived in the kingdom of darkness. Alice did not know that she was born in the kingdom of darkness, they just called it the kingdom. To say this kingdom was dark is a bit of an understatement. Even though all of the citizens were born with eyes, None of them could see because there wasn't enough light to even see their hands in front of their faces. Now this might seem like a terrible place to live. But many of the inhabitants appeared happy. After all, they knew nothing else. They spent their days gathering dirt and rubble and erecting grand buildings of which they were quite proud For a while, this satisfied Alice. But with time, she felt something was missing. And so Alice began to ask questions. She didn't know exactly what she was looking for, but she began calling the things she sought light. The first people she asked if they knew where to find light smiled and patted her on the head and said, Silly girl... Light is all around you. We are the kingdom of light. Others, she asked, claimed that light did not exist at all. They reasoned that if light existed, it must be evil, for why else would it be kept from them? Still another group agreed with Alice that light did in fact exist, but light was probably something horribly painful. And if not, it was probably reserved for people much more noble than the citizens of the kingdom of darkness. None of these answers satisfied Alice. So she continued her quest. One day, as Alice was searching outside her village, she encountered a wall. As she groped along, she thought it must be a very great wall because it was higher than she could reach and it seemed to go on forever. She wondered if light might somehow be at the end of the wall. And so she began walking. After a long while of walking, Alice tripped over something sticking out from the wall. Not knowing what it was, she fell around, then climbed up on it, only to find a second protrusion identical to the one she stood on, but a little higher and further forward. So she climbed onto that one. And what did she find? A third, a fourth, a fifth. Now I'm sure that you've guessed that what Alice found was, in fact, a staircase. But Alice did not know it was a staircase because there were no staircases in the kingdom of darkness. But it was at this point that Alice thought that perhaps the light she was seeking was not at the end of the wall, but maybe at the top or even on the other side of the wall. So Alice began climbing. Step by step, going a little bit further. And do you know what she found? I'll tell you at the end of the message. Kids, right now, here's what I want you to draw. Okay? If you have your kids' handout with you, here's what I want you to draw. I want you to draw a picture of the world covered in darkness. Draw the world covered in darkness. Our passage this morning is a passage that takes us from darkness to light. These are some of the most well-known verses in all of Scripture. Many of you, as children, probably memorized a portion or all of these verses. If you haven't, you've still encountered them. You can be driving on the freeway and see on a billboard John 3.16. Maybe you don't have your license, but you enjoy sports. You turn on a football game, and there, in the end zone, or maybe painted in someone's eyeshadow—I don't think they call it eyeshadow—but painted there <laughs> is John three sixteen. It's a verse that we see everywhere. For many, these verses are the best part of the entire Bible because of the truth in them, has the potential to take someone from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. That's why I'm so excited to dive into this passage this morning. But here's the thing. Have you ever noticed that good stories never start with the best part? The best part always comes after the worst part if you start telling a story with the best part it doesn't seem like the best part it's out of context let let me illustrate this for example i have a movie that is one of my favorite movies and let's say that you've never seen this movie and we're talking and, and you tell me that you've never seen it but you really don't have time for me to tell you the whole story. So I'm like, "Ah, but I still want to tell you so much about this. So you know what? Let me just dive right in. Okay, this is the best part. They're there, and all of a sudden, over the mountain, a man dressed in white rides down the, the hill. As the sun comes up before him, it's awesome. If you've seen the Lord of the Rings, then you know what part I'm talking about, and you agree that it's awesome because you know what came before You know that that moment is the climax. It's a transition. But if you've never seen it, and I jump straight to that part, it loses its beauty. It loses its impact. Our passage is beautiful. It's the best part. But if we jump straight to the best part without stepping back and seeing where this comes in, the great story of redemption, we're going to miss the beauty. Our passage is a journey from darkness into light, but before we can go into the light, before we can rejoice at the light, we need to see the darkness. Here's our big idea. God's love sent his light to rescue from darkness anyone who accepts him. God's love sent his light to rescue from darkness anyone who accepts him. With that being said, we're going to zoom out now and we're going to look at the big picture. Kids, here's what I want you to do as we're going through. You guys can, if you're not done with drawing the world, you can continue doing that. But as we go, inside your handout, you have the two verses that we're going to be going through and you can be working on those as we go through our message. Our story does not begin with us. Our story begins with God. We often think of the time before humans as a time of darkness, but it wasn't. Because before there were humans, there was God. And 1st 1 John 1:5 1, tells us that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. In fact, when God made the creation we see around us, one of the first things he made was light. He spoke and created light. One of God's first creations was light that showed it was a metaphor, it was something that demonstrated who he was. God is light. God's first, One of God's first creative acts not only demonstrated his power, it also provided us with that metaphor for us to understand his nature. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. He is the creator. He is holy. There is no evil within him. He is perfect. But after he had created light, after he continued his creation, the light that demonstrated his nature, he then created man to reflect that light. Genesis 127, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. God created man in his image. He created man to reflect himself, to reflect his light. Humanity was meant to be image bearers of God, to be lights in the world. But as we know, man's light did not last. Rather than fulfilling our task Rather than reflecting his light, mankind rebelled. We turned from the light of God and embraced the darkness of sin. The light was gone. Yes, God was still light. Our sin had not conquered him, but even as the verse tells us that he is light, it also tells us that in him there is no light darkness. Because of our sin, because of our choice, we were separated from the light. Our turning from the light meant we were then trapped in darkness, but this should not have been a surprise. God had warned humanity that this was the cost of sin. To sin was to die, to be eternally separated from God, to be eternally separated from the light and plunged into darkness. Proverbs 4.19 says, The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. The way of man is to be lost in darkness. But it gets worse. Not only are we lost in the darkness, Ephesians 5.8 tells us that we are the darkness. This is the condition of of man, the universal condition. All of us are in darkness. Every single one of us has chosen the opposite of God. We could state it like this. Man is darkness and in him is no light at all. Now that might seem really harsh. But that's the reality of our position. This is our story. This is the bad part before we get to the good part. We can't understand and appreciate the beauty of the best part unless we accept the reality of the worst part. We can't understand and appreciate the beauty of the best part unless we accept the reality of the worst part. We must understand that the depth of our depravity is absolute. There was no light in us. There was nothing in us that deserved anything other than death and condemnation. Darkness was our choice. And darkness was our penalty. But darkness does not overcome light. John 1 The light has come. The light does not abandon us. God did not forsake us to darkness, even though that is precisely what we deserve. God chose to give light to those who chose darkness. The question is, why? Why would God give light to us when we chose darkness? Why would God give life to those who chose death? It's at this point, at this point, when we understand our total darkness, and then we see that the light has come, the question we ask is why? Why would God choose to give light to those who chose darkness. That's the answer that our text gives. Turn with me to John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. The first word we see in our passage demonstrates that this is a continuation of the passage we saw last week. The last words of our passage from last week said, So must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Now if we remember the human condition of darkness and death, that we spent time already developing, what is the logical question to ask after a statement that essentially says Jesus would be crucified for our salvation? What's the logical question if we understand our darkness and then we see that truth? Why? Why would the Son of Man do that? And the answer we receive should floor us. Because God so loved the world. Now, this is a phrase that we throw around all the time. God loves you. God loves you. And while these, this verse may be the most well-known verse in all of Scripture, there's a good chance it's also the least appreciated verse in all of Scripture. That we do not truly understand what this verse is saying even as I was studying this passage earlier this week, I came to this verse with a perspective that was wrong, that could not see the depth of the beauty that was here because I was not looking at it and understanding what it said. And I think that a lot of us fall fall in that category. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to say something that's a little shocking. Stick with me. I'm going to say something that at face value might seem like heresy, but stay with me. Let me explain and prove my point. If you still have questions after, come talk to me after the service. Here's the shocking statement Don't assume that God loves you. Don't assume that God loves you. Told you it was shocking. Earlier we went through the tiniest fragment of the darkness of man. We could have spent hours just looking at the scripture that talks about our darkness. We could have brought historical examples of the darkness in man. But we don't need to bring those. If you just honestly look within yourself, you'll come to the same conclusion that man is darkness. There is no light within us. If that is true, if it is true that we are darkness, that there is nothing in us that deserves God's love, then what would cause us to assume that God loves us? When we assume that God loves us, we take his love for granted. To assume God's love is actually a worldly perspective, not a Christian perspective. Here is the Christian perspective. We do not assume that God loves us. We accept that God loves us. Now, those two might seem very similar, but they're not. They're worlds apart. If you were to go talk to someone on the street that doesn't know God and take them, take the Word of God to them and tell them, God loves you, here's two of the more common answers you would hear. The first answer is, I know. Of course God loves me. What's not to love? God loves everyone. God is love. Now, part of us looks and says, okay, good. But how did they reach that conclusion? They reached it by making an assumption. It wasn't because they accepted that God loved them because they know their darkness. No, they assumed God loves them because they assume their goodness. Of course God loves me. I'm a basically good person. Why wouldn't God love me? Why wouldn't God show me love? I deserve God's love. They assume their goodness. On the other hand, you might go to someone and say, another common response, that God loves you, they might say, No, God's not love. God doesn't love anyone. Do you think that a loving God would let this much darkness exist? Do you think that he would be okay with this? God is not love. Now that seems like a very different perspective, but they reach it through the same assumption. What do they assume? I don't deserve this wickedness. I don't deserve this darkness. If God was love, he would not give us this. They assume again that they are good. Both of them assume either if God's love does exist that they will receive it because they're good or they assume God's love doesn't exist because again, they assume their goodness. But what's the Christian perspective? No, I am in darkness. I am far from God's light. There is nothing in me that deserves God's love. That's the truth. Which is why then God tells us that he loves us not so that we can assume it but so that we can accept it the christian response to god's love is to accept his love now i'll be honest this was a big revelation for me i found that i've come to assume god's love it's a given to assume it though is to take it for granted I underappreciated the magnificence of God's love. God's love is so much smaller if I assume I deserve it. God's love, though, is magnificent if I accept and know that I brought nothing to the table, and yet he still chose to love me. That's true love. Unearned love. Unmerited favor. Not because we deserve it, but because he gives it. That's the first step as we travel from the darkness into the love, into the light. God loves us. God loves the world. But God does not merely tell us of his love. God demonstrates his love. He proves it. That's the next step up. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. God's love is not a love of mere words. Anyone can say, anyone can claim that they love the world, but God proved it. He loved the world when he gave his Son. Now, in what way did God give his Son? There's two different ways that God gives his Son. The first, he gave his Son in sending his Son. The Word took on flesh and dwelt among men because God sent his Son. We'll see that in the next verse. God sent him. He gave him as a gift. The word became flesh. Jesus took on humanity. It was a gift. But the second way that God gave his son was not that Jesus just came, lived for a while, and then went back to heaven. No, Jesus gave his life. God gave the son in that God gave the son to be crucified in our place. Romans 5, 6-8 says, For while we were still sinners, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would e- dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, while we were still in darkness, Christ died for us. God chose his love. God proved his love in giving his son, not only in sending his son to be a man, but also in giving his son in death. God's love sent his light to rescue us from darkness. This is God's gift to the world. This is the proof of God's love. So what do we do with a gift? What do we do? How do we respond? We accept it. We don't assume it, we accept the gift that whoever believes in Him. Whoever believes, anyone who believes, God's love is sufficient for the whole world. Whoever believes in Him, God's love is offered for everyone. His love is sufficient. But there's a response that's necessary. God's love is sufficient. It never runs dry. His light is never overcome. But it is only efficient for those who believe. God's love is offered, but it must be accepted. It must be received. Whoever believes There's a response. God's love sent his light to rescue from darkness anyone who accepts him. This is the good news. The bad news of the darkness is is that it can be reversed. The bad news can be changed. Look what the verse says. Whoever believes in him should not perish. That's the result. To perish is what we deserve. If we were to assume anything based on the knowledge of who we are, what we should assume is death and condemnation. But what we receive is mercy. Whoever believes will not perish. You don't receive the punishment you deserve. That's mercy. But not only mercy, God's love also provides grace. Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. He not only takes away our punishment with mercy, he gives in grace eternal life. Now for most of my life, I misunderstood this idea of eternal life. To me, not perishing and eternal life were redundant. They were just saying the same thing to not perish okay i'll not die and have eternal life i will eternally not die they were the same thing to me but they're not the same to not perish is mercy you deserved condemnation we deserved death but we didn't receive that instead we received a gift life eternal life the main idea of eternal life is not the quantity it's the quality when Jesus talks about life, it's a life of the fullness of what we are meant to be. It's finally being what God created man to be. It's being in his image. It's being the image of his Son. It's something we've never fully experienced. It's something we're looking forward to. Where there will be no darkness within us. Where we will reflect And shine his light perfectly. We will have the fullness, the abundance of life. And the cherry on top is that once we have that, it will never end. It's not just never dying. It's fully, eternally living. God is light and in him there is no darkness but with the eternal life we will be with him and in us there will be no darkness. God's love sent his light to rescue from darkness anyone who accepts him. Now we're not done. The beauty continues. The staircase continues. More and more elements that prove God's love, that we could accept his love. It continues. It says, four, Again, this is continuing what we just looked at. Because again, if we consider our condition, if we consider our darkness, we would never assume the reasons that God tells us of why he sends his son. It says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. As we've already seen, God sent Jesus. He commissioned Jesus with a task. And Jesus fully accepted that task. But the mission was not what we would expect. We would expect that Jesus would come to condemn us, but he didn't. He came in order that the world might be saved through him. Again, we should be overwhelmed by the truth of this passage once we reflect on the truth of who we were, the truth of what we deserved. We deserved condemnation, and yet he brought salvation. Now let me illustrate this. I could make, now I I could try to make this illustration really shocking and really dark and use the worst example of humanity and all those things. The reality is, though, one, it's a family Sunday, so I won't. Two, even if I did, the illustration would still pale in comparison to the reality. It doesn't matter how dark I went in the illustration, it it pales in comparison to the true human condition. So let me illustrate it like this. Imagine if we finish the service, and uh, this last week, my wife bought new tires for the car. We needed them, but man, it hurt. Tires are expensive. But I go outside, and my son is out near my car, and he's, he's playing around. He's near the tires. I'm not really sure what he's doing, but I get closer, and I see that he has a little pocket knife. And he's going, and he keeps on poking the tires, and he's just drawing and making lines in them. And he does it to all four tires. And I'm, I'm already shocked at that, but then I look and I see that he used the side of my car as a drawing board with the pocket knife. And he did this beautiful drawing all over the place. Now, what should my son expect my reaction to be at that moment? It's not salvation. <laughs> at that moment, he should expect my wrath. And it would be righteous wrath. What we should expect from our sin is wrath. Righteous wrath. We should expect that God sends his son to say, Enough! You're done! But he sent his son for salvation. We sinned against God. We chose darkness over his light. We directly rebelled against him. But he does not give us the condemnation. He does not bring the condemnation. He brings salvation. Romans 8.1, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's what's offered to the world. Again, his grace is sufficient. His gift is enough. But please hear me. If you are here this morning and you have not responded in faith and accepted God's gift, then your condemnation has not been removed. You are still in the darkness just as we all once more were. As much as God's grace is sufficient for you, it is only efficient if you respond. Verse 18 says, Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. The only way to receive God's gift is through belief in him, it is to accept his gift. Now, wait, you might be thinking, Wait, you just said that he doesn't bring condemnation. He didn't send his son for condemnation. So, so how is there still condemnation? Look at the verse. He didn't bring condemnation because we were already condemned. He brought the salvation because the condemnation was already there. Because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Refusal of Jesus is not what brings the condemnation. I- imagine that you were born in a nuclear waste dump, not the kind that makes you a superhero. You were born in the dump of nuclear waste, and you spent your days playing in the, the water that came, in the barrels, in all of those, poisoning every cell in your body. That is bad that you poisoned yourself. But it was, it was already bad before. You were already poisoned because your parents grew up there. They were already poisoned and they passed on the poison to you. If a doctor comes and says, this is the cure, and you refuse the cure, was the doctor the one who poisoned you? No. You were already poisoned. But refusing the cure seals your fate. There was only one cure. And to refuse that cure seals your fate. God's love sent his light to rescue from darkness anyone who accepts him. But if you refuse him, the condemnation will remain John 3:19 This is and this is the judgment the light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Jesus does not come to condemn because the world already stands condemned but to refuse him brings the final judgment. All of us once stood condemned for those who receive but those who receive it they are free. God is willing to forgive all our sins but if you refuse his forgiveness there is no cure and this is the judgment the light has come into the world the kingdom of darkness has received the king of light there's such joy in that statement but it is followed by such a tragic statement and people loved the darkness rather than the light Why? Why would anyone prefer the darkness when the light has come? Because their works were evil. The darkness is not just outside of us, the darkness is within us. We loved the darkness because we were part of the darkness. We don't want to expose the darkness, that hurts. Verse 20, for everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. The world doesn't want to come into the light because it hurts. Why does the world refuse the light? Because accepting God's light means accepting your own darkness. There's not another way to come to God. You can't come to God on equal terms. God, I assume you love me because I assume I'm a good person. We come at this in a partnership. Let's do this together. I'll love you. You love me. It'll be perfect. That's not the way to God. You can't accept God's true love, God's true light, unless you accept your condition of darkness. The world doesn't want to do that because it hurts. It's so much more comfortable to assume our goodness and therefore assume God's love. God does love you, but it's not because you deserve it. You can't come to God assuming your own goodness. The world doesn't want to see and admit and accept our darkness. But that's what's necessary before we come to the good news. You need the bad news before you come to the best news. While many refuse God's light, there are those who receive it and walk in the light. Verse 21, but whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be seen, clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Now this last verse is a little bit difficult to understand, but, but know this. If nothing else, make sure that you hear this. It is not talking about salvation through works. It's not that people do good things and therefore that carries them into the light. That's not what this is talking about. Verse 21 is the contrast to verse 20. There are those who hate the light because they want to stay in darkness. But there are others who can walk freely in the light. Not because they took themselves in the darkness. No one, they took themselves into the light. No one can walk into the light unless they have been cleansed. But those who have been cleansed by the light, those who have been transformed, they can walk in the light so that it can, may be clearly seen, not that their works have been carried out, not that they have done something, but that it may be clearly seen that their works have been carried out In God. This is not something we boast about. This is all something that God does. To Him be the glory. God's love sent His light to rescue from darkness anyone who accepts Him. So, what are the applications of this majestic passage? The first is if you're here and you are still. In the darkness, you have not received Christ. Understand that your condition is in darkness. I'm not saying that to shame you. I'm not saying that of like, oh, look at you, you're so evil. I was in darkness. And I didn't save myself. Christ saved me. You need God's light. You can't assume God's love. You must accept God's love. If you haven't done that and you have questions about that, come talk to me. Talk to any of our members of this church because they have the answer. They know what you need. Understand the bad news before you receive this good news. But maybe you're here and you've done that. You've accepted God's love. You're a believer here. The first thing we must do, we must walk in the light so that it may be clearly seen that our works have been carried out in God. We came from darkness. We must remember that. But now we must walk in the light. But we must not only walk in the light so that it is clearly seen, we must talk about the light. We must tell others about this good news. But let me just give give a, a small thing for you to think about. Sometimes I think we jump to John 3.16 too fast. John 3.16 is beautiful, but its beauty comes after the bad news. The light comes after the darkness. If you go to someone and just tell them God loves you, they're going to probably respond as many respond. Either they're going to reject it or they're going to assume it, but both of them because they don't yet see their darkness. Part of the gospel is to share that. Talk about the light, but also use the light to expose the darkness. Parents, that's part of your jobs. Your job is not to just keep telling your children, you're perfect, you're wonderful, you're, you're awesome. If they grow up thinking they're perfect, wonderful, awesome, why will they ever think that they have a need for the light? We must expose the darkness so that then they can accept the light. The final application, though, is for all of us to be careful that we don't slip and backslide from accepting God's love into assuming God's love. There are so many dangers that come out because of that. The first is apathy. God's going to love me anyways. What, What difference does it make? I don't don't need to walk in the light. He's going to love me. I can assume this. Yes, God does love you, but accept it knowing what you came from. Don't fall into apathy. The second danger is, is anger. When we start assuming God's love, when God then brings trials and tribulations in our life, we're like, whoa, God, I don't deserve this. I've been good. I deserve your love. I assume that you're just going to give me good things, but now you're giving me this bad thing? And we get angry at God because we don't accept and understand what his true salvation is for. The third is anxiety. Because we we walk and we, we get to the point where we think that we're earning God's love, that we're reaching the point that we deserve God's love. And then, in that pride... We fall flat on our face. We fall in sin. And do you know what happens if you assume God's love at that point? Oh no. Is God going to take his love away from me? Do I still deserve God's love? What's going to happen now? You never deserved God's love. That's why we need to accept it. Hold fast to the understanding and accepting God's love. God's love sent his light to rescue from darkness anyone Who accepts him? Kids, you guys ready for the end of the story? Okay. When we last left Alice, she had begun climbing the stairs of the wall in the kingdom of darkness, longing and seeking the light. For a long time, she continued climbing, hour after hour. For a while, nothing changed. But then Alice noticed that the darkness was not as dark as it had been Before. She didn't know if this was light, but something was changing. As Alice continued her journey, she became sure something was definitely changing. With newfound wonder, she realized she could barely make out the shapes of her fingers. As she pressed on, her excitement mingled with a sense of despair. For as her sight improved, so did the realization that she was filthy. When she had begun the journey, she had thought herself clean and well-dressed. Now she began to see how untrue that was. She saw her clothes were mere rags. She now saw that her feet were covered in mud and that she had left a trail of dirt with every step. But she did not give up on her quest. Finally, after what seemed like days, Alice reached the last step. But... To her horror, the stairs stopped short of the top of the wall. It was so close and yet completely out of her reach. She leaped, she scrambled, she strained, but she could not reach the top. Just as Alice was turning to descend the stairs in despair and return to the kingdom of darkness, a hand reached over the wall. Alice stared in wonder at the hand, a clean hand, robed in white, shining with a blinding light. She covered her eyes, then heard a voice, Take my hand, child, come into the light. Alice immediately reached out her arm to take the hand, but as she reached, she was horrified to see her hand covered in filth. She remembered the rags she wore. The glorious light only magnified her impurity. Alice unwittingly began to recoil, mired in self-conscious pity, but then she heard the voice once more. It's all right, Alice. I know you are unclean. Trust me. Overwhelmed by the love she heard in that voice, Alice grasped the hand and was gently lifted over the wall. In that moment, she realized several things. First, instead of defiling the magnificent hand that grasped her, instead, her own hand was instantly transformed. The filth was removed, her rags replaced, yet the stranger's hand remained as pure as ever. Second, Alice realized that the walls she had climbed were not in fact walls, but the steep sides of a cavernous pit. Here she stood not on the top of a wall, but on the edge of a pit, surrounded by a kingdom of beauty and light. The third realization, however, was the greatest of all. For Alice's greatest desire had been to find the light and now, at the edge of the pit, she was holding Light's hand. The King of Light, for that was who he was, smiled and said, Welcome, daughter. For a time, the two just talked. They talked about Alice's journey. They talked about her trials. They even talked about her filth and ragged clothes. And then they stood in silence as Alice gazed with wonder at the glorious kingdom surrounding her. But from the corner of her eyes, she saw the king sorrowfully lo- peering into the pit. Alice looked up at the king and asked, what's wrong? Afflicted, the king responded, they dwell in a pit of darkness while I offer them the light of life. I have so much more for them, but they assume I have nothing more to give. Alice excitedly responded, Why don't you tell them why you could take your light to them? If they could just see you, it would change everything. Child, I already have. I have been to the pit. I myself made the staircase long ago in order to go down to your people. Your people did not make the staircase in order to reach me. I built the staircase in order to take my light to them. But but there must be something that that can be done. Kneeling, the king looked at her and gently said, There is. I need you to go and tell them. But what can I do? While many still flee my light, there are even now some who are searching, whose eyes I have begun to open. Go to them. Tell them they dwell in darkness, but that the light has come. But Alice Trembling said, I'm scared. I don't want to go back into the dark. What if I lose my way? The king gently touched her cheek and lovingly replied, My child, the light I have given to you cannot be taken away. Once accepted, it is with you always. There will be times when the darkness seems overwhelming, but darkness never conquers my light. Walk in my light, so that it may be clearly seen that my light abides in you, for my light I give to you, and no darkness shall ever overcome it. Will you do this for me? And with that, Alice turned, and began descending the stairs. But suddenly she realized it was no longer the pit of darkness. For now she walked in his light, so that it might be clearly seen that the light was not her own, but God's. God's love sent his light to rescue from darkness anyone who accepts Let's stand and sing about this love that the Father has shown us.